This is an ABC podcast. My initial days of knowing my HIV status was really a difficult time. At that moment, 22 years back, and it was really, really difficult to cope. A lot of men prefer not to wear a condom, you know, and women do not have the negotiating power in terms of wearing condoms. And so this becomes vulnerabilities to young women and even women in marriages. I just continue to bring up awareness and tell people, look, you can stop it or you can spread it. But I'm going to support children and people who are positive so they do not spread it. Remember several decades ago when you tested positive to HIV? It was pretty much a death sentence. That has changed. It can be managed through medication and infections have been declining globally. And that is incredibly positive. But here's the bad news. Girls and young women aged between 10 and 24 make up almost two-thirds of all new infections across the world. And that is happening here in the Pacific too. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about girls, women and HIV. I know people who died from HIV in the 90s. Back then, it was a death sentence. There was so much stigma attached to it, preventing people from coming forward and seeking treatment. Much has changed since then. Importantly, it can be treated with antiretroviral medications, so you can live a long and relatively healthy life, and you don't pass the virus on. Rates of new infections have reduced by more than a third since the year 2000, and AIDS-related deaths have reduced by 42% since a peak in 2004. But there are some disturbing trends. Girls and young women are making up almost two-thirds of new infections globally, and that's no different here in the Pacific. The United Nations says that HIV impacts teenage girls and young women who are vulnerable to violence and child marriage and who lack sexual and reproductive health information. They say they are not in a position to negotiate safe sex and they don't have access to condoms or HIV and STI testing. And if you don't get tested, you don't get treatment. Jokopathy Katie is the program manager for Future Network, which supports people living with HIV in Fiji. She knows firsthand what it is like. Jokopathy was 22 when she found out she had HIV. When I was diagnosed HIV positive, uh, with zero level of education, uh, no one has come out public in Fiji to say, hey, I'm Fijian, I'm HIV positive, and it's okay, you can live a normal life. So nothing of that sort, the support mechanism or support system was not there. It was like a death sentence in back in the days. And knowing that you're HIV positive, it was something that has a, a connotation of death, uh, no future, and you cannot live a normal life. So back then was really a, a tragic moment. There was no support group, no uh, awareness, and community were, were not sensitized. Stigma and discrimination was really high towards people living with HIV, especially when messages of transmission was only gravitating towards uh, sex. 
it was really difficult. I was alone at, at some point in time. You know, I, I really needed uh, support that was never going to be there. So my initial days of uh, knowing my HIV status was really uh, a difficult time. Six months later, I decided to tell somebody. I was uh, living in isolation with my first husband and not willing to tell anybody. I wasn't ready to tell anybody. So what was your family's response to this news? They just accepted me as, as part of the family member, but they had no knowledge about HIV, how I got it, uh, why me. I was, you know, happy and glad that uh, though there was very limited uh, information about HIV, they just accepted me. Uh, but there were tears and emotions involved because there wasn't any information about that you can live a normal life even though you're HIV positive as compared to these days. My dad uh, tried and educate himself in trying to understand, okay, if I live with someone who's HIV positive, what are the risks? What do I need to do? support uh, my daughter. Wow. In previous interviews, you've said that eventually knowing your positive status made you feel glad. Was it important that you had that sense of knowing, that sense of direction? You know, I always say that it's really important that we know our status. But back then, knowing your status was just mere information. But today it's a different uh, perspective because once you know you have treatment and treatment that are preventative. It stops transmission. Back then, there wasn't any information of this magnitude. So, you know, I always say that it is really, really important that we continue to promote HIV testing because there are quality treatment, and this treatment helps prevent transmission. So once they are tested HIV positive, they are immediately on treatment, and it stops transmission. So that's what we want as programmers, as activists. So it's really important as a community, as women, girls who are in the Pacific, here in Fiji, that they understand the importance of HIV tests, that it could save their lives. I mean, I've been living with HIV now for more than 20 years, and I know without treatment, I think I wouldn't survive this long. So... It's really important that they hear testimonies of people who have been in, in living with HIV for so long and celebrating life, celebrating treatment, and also, uh, you know, having a, a relationship that uh, in, in my back in the days, 20 years back, it was almost impossible to have a relationship with non-infected people living with treatment. You can. You can live with someone. Uh, that are uninfected with HIV, you can have children and your children can uh, uh, be free from HIV. So there's so much to celebrate uh, as HIV positive people and so much to know about uh, effective treatment and the quality treatment that we have as preventative. What is the access to medicine and medication like for people who live with HIV now? There are interruptions at the moment because of COVID and because of, you know, the shipping, the lockdown, uh, this has caused delay. It has interrupted, uh, particularly in Samoa, treatment for people living with HIV. Uh, but I'm, I'm so glad that uh, it's not adverse. This is uh, found in other Pacific countries, and that has been addressed uh, immediately. 
And I read in 2016 that you worked on a stigma index tool, which was measuring the extent of HIV stigma across the Pacific region. How does stigma impact on women and girls in the Pacific today? We reconducted a stigma index, people living with HIV stigma index study uh, in the Pacific for seven countries. And in, within these seven countries, we find that external stigma was very low, low in the sense that uh, these HIV-positive people are almost invisible groups. Uh, none of them has come out public. Expecting is almost impossible because they are not uh, public with their status. People don't know, don't even know that uh, they are HIV-positive apart from the medical people. One thing that I find uh, that is really, really common with women and girls uh, is self-stigma. Self-stigma was really high across the board in the Pacific. Uh, you know, the, the feeling of shame, uh, self-guilt, blaming themselves that they have uh, made themselves uh, HIV positive and contributed to, to a relationship, causing the marriage, you know. There was, there's so much self-stigma as compared to external stigma. Interesting, uh, because I was expecting a more external stigma, but uh, the finding was that uh, self-stigma and self-stigma was really high uh, in the built HIV community, particularly uh, women and girls. How do you address uh, the self-stigma that really affects these women and girls today? Well, I think that uh, one of the things that has worked globally is uh, peer-to-peer support. So women supporting and empowering, embracing other women's journey, uh, talking about their stories, you know, uh, just the simple Talanoa and dialogue really will empower other women who are in similar situations. So I really feel, and this has been proven in my project, when women empower women and also, you know, other, other gender when they do empower their own peers, that really, really helps and boosts the confidence and, you know, help them live a normal life. So it's, it's, about, it's about education, uh, to take uh, awareness and create uh, education regarding HIV, uh, basic information. It's also about education on the consequences of stigma and discrimination, how it fuels the epidemic, how it fuels HIV how uh, it contributes to increase HIV cases rather than decreasing the cases because people need to understand the result of stigma and discrimination that it stops excess of testing. So, you know, one of the things that I, I feel that really needs to happen a lot is that women are taking action and women are demonstrating that they support other women. Women need to take ownership of that and prove to the world that we as women, we can support other women uh, in in the Pacific and also uh, girls in that sense. So I really feel that we need more action, less speaking, uh, less, you know, uh, words, but we really need more role models, more champions, more women coming out and supporting other women just so that we can see that, you know, uh, women themselves are acting and behaving and, you know, showing that we can support each other as women Um, and also as girls, you know, uh, peer-to-peer support. So engaging 
uh, girls at uh, at the same age, trying to empower them and, and have them being an activist and champion so that they can empower other women. And this empowerment and action, I'm saying, I'm referring to it needs to be visible, needs to be potent in a way that uh, women can trust that uh, these women who are in front of us are really showing good examples. And they really mean uh, what they say when they uh, want to support and embrace other women's journey. There's so many different things to take away from Jokopathy, Katie, but there are two main ones for me. First, don't be afraid to speak up. Repeat an old motto from back in the 90s. If it's not on, it's not on. And the second, HIV is treatable. There's enough medication and it is free. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. I told you a little earlier that rates of HIV infections are declining globally. However, the numbers are not clear for the Pacific. But what we do know is there is an epidemic when it comes to sexually transmitted infections. So what does this really mean for our HIV rates? Renata Ram is the country director at the UNH Pacific office based in Suva. The reason why numbers are not being reported is because donor funding and interest in this area has really dropped. So a lot of resources have been pulled away from um, HIV. Have you noticed any changes in rates of HIV in the Pacific? Of course, it is going up. In the Pacific, we suffer from a high burden of sexually transmitted infections. But the prevalence and incidence of STIs in individual cases over time are not very well known. It's important to really note that the Pacific has like an uncontrolled um, STI epidemic. So under previous uh, regional HIV and STI funding, there was a comprehensive comedia and STI control programs which were being implemented regionally and which has not been sustained beyond 2014. You know, we have a lot of these cases and with other STIs besides HIV, they are symptomatic. So people would come to the clinics showing symptoms, right? But with HIV, this may only detect it when it's come to a certain point, when a person becomes very sick, or if you're going through routine testing, which is not really happening at the moment. You know, 10 years ago, we had robust HIV and STI uh, programs. Right now, it's unheard of, and people think HIV has left this region, but it's not the case. Um, The Pacific globally remains a uh, region with uh, low HIV prevalence, and this is, of course, excluding PNG. PNG is um, a country on its own and not considered in the uh, Pacific region when we do our reporting. And all the countries that report a prevalence below 0.1%, which is concentrated in the general population. So the HIV um, data in the Pacific should be viewed with a lot of caution. As data in the Pacific is mainly derived from um, women attending antenatal clinics. But the Pacific region has a relatively high HIV vulnerability, which is characterized by the presence of well-known drivers of HIV and STI. This includes low condom use. And in uh, recent years, data indicates the men who have sex with men. On their last sexual encounter, only 24% had indicated that they had used condoms. 
Also very well known in this region, we have very high teenage pregnancies and there's a widespread migration and mobility of dense sexual network and also a large caseload of untreated um, STIs. This is especially when people are showing symptoms and do not get treatment and resort to traditional medicines, which are not very effective. The other problems that we have are low knowledge about HIV and STIs and high levels of transsexual and casual sex, as well as significant levels of intimate partner violence. And another situation which puts higher vulnerability on women is negotiation of condom use. Uh, as a lot of men prefer not to wear a condom, you know, and women do not have the negotiating power in terms of wearing condoms. And so this becomes vulnerabilities to young women and even women in marriages. Is there stigma towards women, especially reaching out for help? Uh, well, see, the cultural perception is still there. Talking about sex is a very taboo subject in the Pacific. Yeah? Due to this conservatism, our awareness campaigns can be very um, challenging. Unsafe sex practices, practices are uh, the main mode of HIV transmission. And as I said, the low condom use is still very prevalent here. There's a big emphasis on abstinence and negative consequences of sex, um, you know, it's discouraged the negative consequences of sex. And young people are discouraged about talking about uh, sex or sexuality. And yes, um, it, You know, young women, when they um, go up to clinics uh, trying to access condoms or even like accessing sexual health um, services, a lot of stigma can be felt by the health workers there. You know, it's not a very friendly environment. Mm. So yeah, uh, the cultural perception about um, STIs and HIV and sexual health is still very conservative. And Renata, what treatment options are available to Pacific Islands uh, women living with HIV? So, you know, we have what we call um, antiretroviral treatment. And this is the most effective treatment for anyone living with HIV to live a long, healthy life. And um, in all governments in the Pacific, this is free of charge once um, a person enrolls into the treatment uh, program. And um, so this is readily available and, you know, UNAIDS and also UNDP and the Global Fund ensures that there's no stockouts um, in, the, in these countries. So this is something that a lot of people do not know about, right? The treatment for HIV still, there's this uh, perception that HIV is a death sentence, but it is not. It, is, it should be taken as another chronic disease like high blood pressure or diabetes where you take medication on a daily basis. And we have some advocates, and I believe um, you know one of them, um, Chokapevi, who has lived for 20 plus years with the virus mm. and all thanks to the antiretroviral treatment. And she is one of many success stories in the, the region who have been consistent with their treatment The most important thing that governments need to commit to, which donors need to commit to, is uh, the comprehensive sexuality education package. 
So this is embedded in the school curriculums, and it's about uh, empowering young people to know about themselves, about their sexuality, about treating people, about diseases. With this sort of knowledge, women can be in a better place to negotiate for safe sex practices or even have the uh, courage to say no when they do not feel comfortable. Renata Ram from UNAIDS in Fiji, who wants to see an investment into sexual reproductive health and sex education. While the rates of HIV infection are coming down in most parts of the world, it's alarming that the opposite is happening in Papua New Guinea. It accounts for 95% of HIV cases in the Pacific, with 45,000 people affected and 65% of those are on antiretroviral treatment. Tessiso is the founder of Friends Foundation. It was originally set up to help people living with HIV or AIDS, but now it focuses on children who have been orphaned by AIDS. Tessie saw a first case of HIV diagnosed in 1984, but she did not become invested until she came across a young woman who was pregnant. She unfortunately had got the virus because of her promiscuous husband, but she had remarried and um, had uh, uh, got pregnant and came and delivered. We had then been testing, sending our tests to Australia because we are, since 87, we were seeing cases of HIV, very scattered. So she was maybe like in the fourth case that we had had. And what I did was I was called in by our doctors. I attended to her where the doctor said that she would only live two weeks. And apparently she lived eight months. After two years, we tested a little boy and he was negative. We've got this you know, ratio that out of 10 pregnant women who are HIV positive, only three babies will become positive. I've done, you know, a lot of things to try to bring the awareness to our people that HIV is not one disease that you just get. It's acquired. So I gave support, and that's how I, you know, continue to care for children up until today. Now singled it out to only children who are orphaned. And I was saying we've got 65 children under our belt who are orphans, but living with their relatives because I don't believe in having a home for children because I want the child to grow up in knowing their own custom and culture. Uh, there must have been pretty lots of babies and children coming to you for help. Do you, would you know uh, how many have passed through to through Friends Foundation for help? I think I would be, you know, gearing around the 2,000 mark. But, you know, what really made me start to really think about it was the fact that even, you know, in the early days, we were actually seeing families die. So, for example, if a mom, you know, came in through antenatal and was pregnant, and then we found out that she was positive, the child would die, she would die, and then the father would die, you know. So I actually came across uh, four families in that. And that really made me sad because of the fact that this is a unit that's going. Uh, that's why I really put put a lot of time and effort into continuing to, as whatever came in front of me, the challenges of HIV, I just continue to bring up awareness and tell people, look, you can stop it or you can spread it. But I'm going to support children and people who are positive so they do not spread it. 
It's interesting. How do people know about Friends Foundation and um, how do you know about the kids and where they are? We have a, what we call a prevention of parent-to-child clinic here at Palm Gen. When mothers give birth and the child is exposed, she's positive, they actually register to our PPTCT clinic. That clinic in its early days back in 1998, there was a doctor who actually decided that his, her interest was in, in trying to help these children and register our cases of uh, women who are positive and giving birth. Now, that clinic actually cares for those children who are exposed, that they are born to positive uh, parents, and um, that clinic follows children through. When I was helping this clinic, we would have group therapy where all the mothers that have children exposed would come to our, our group therapy. The idea was that for the mothers to know that there is someone out there who cares for them. And also to encourage them to come to clinic because now we had, uh, like, medication was now coming in. Treatment was now coming in. When a parents are HIV positive and their status is known, um, is there kind of a rejection from the community and their families, extended families? Oh, there was quite a lot of rejection and discrimination stigma in the past. But because of the treatment being given to these families, you know, they are looking well. Medical treatment is available here in uh, PNG, uh, sorry, in Port Moresby, and also I think throughout the country. The medical team and WHO have done it right by, you know, getting the treatment out to our friends, people living with HIV, and it's free. At the moment, uh, I was told uh, today at today's clinic is that we've got over 800 children who are on treatment. And out of that, those 800, we are only seeing 56 of them. So where the others are, I was asking the uh, nursing sister, um, I think you can refer them, but then I'm looking at the challenges of, you know, what can we do uh, to help them along, yeah, limited resources, yes. What wonderful work Tessie So is doing through the Friends Foundation. Isn't it incredible that she is at about 2,000 orphaned children come through her doors, and many of them are now adults. I just hope she can get more support for her good work. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. It's wonderful that modern medicine means being HIV positive is no longer a death sentence. You can live a long and healthy life. But as you've heard in this episode, health experts say preventing sexually transmitted diseases, including HIV, should be a priority. As Renata Ram from UNAIDS in Fiji points out, it's at epidemic proportions. So we don't know how many people are affected. On top of that, girls and young women are still being coerced into unsafe sex, and they are being put at risk. One of the key messages I've taken away from the women I've caught up with on Sisters Let's Talk is, if you have unprotected sex, get tested. That there's nothing to be afraid of. Because there are many wonderful women like Jokopathy and Tessie who are there to offer you support. Thank you so much for joining me, Hilda Wayne for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia a weekly show made by Pacific Island Women for Pacific Island Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. We've covered so many issues in previous shows, like traditional tattooing, 
women working in STEM, and childbirth in PNG. You can hear all those shows and more by searching up our podcast. Just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can hear it on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, how is social media shaping our understanding of beauty? What you see online, it's going to change whether or not you like it, but people are going to change. People that you look at for inspiration, they're going to change. And it's like, if you don't accept yourself and if you don't look within yourself first, you know, you won't be at peace with what you're looking for or how you want to identify or define beauty. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented by me, Hilda Wayne. It's produced by Melissa Makin. Our supervising producer is Inga Stuntner. Executive producer is Justin Kelly. And our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. I'm Tasol Nabungimu next time. Thank you.